What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Jubilee Street, a music podcast. I'm joined by the fluffy Blue the Intern Dog, the fuzzy Buffy the HR Dog, and the one, the only, the favorite Ian in my bag of Ians. You got Ian McKay. You got Ian Curtis. You got Courtney's brother, Liam. That's right. We're talking about Ian McCurtis, everybody. Yeah, what about brother. Ian Fleming of James Bond fame. Ian, yeah, I don't know him. Never heard of him. Ian McKellen. I was, try- I couldn't, I, my brain's not firing and also, I don't know a lot of Ians. Ian's like kind of weirdly an obscure name to me. No. But there's a lot of Ians. There's that Modest Mouse cover. Uh, she Ianizes and atomizes. Ian Sweet, indie rock musician. Ian Sweet, indie rock musician. Ian. E-N-D, rock musician. And speaking of indie rock, we're talking about a pretty special new album that dropped this past Saturday. I think it was the 28th. Am I right? 28th? I don't know. It was last Saturday, though. I can confirm. Um, I'm not going to claim to know how to say this artist's name correctly, but it's Paranol. That's P-A-R-A-N-N-O-U-L. And we're talking about After the Magic. There was a podcast named Jubilee Street, a music podcast hosted by Jake and Ian. I really rewards you stepping into that ass. Brand new. Has only had, hadn't even been out a week yet as of recording. Paranol is an artist we found in 2021 when he released the album. See I think the, the next now, part of the dream, something like that. The now iconic album to see the next part of the dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this guy, people don't know much about him. He is no one knows who he is. It's a some. It's a, he's very private. He's yeah, like he's, actively trying to keep his privacy. He's a apparently. student in South Korea, and makes his music mostly by himself. on On this album, he had some help. We'll talk about that as we get into it. I think the the album to see the next part of the dream was entirely by himself, as well as the first album. I can't remember what it's called. Something about a blue cat. The instrumental one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, it was just sort of like a magical like movie type of story. He just, I think, threw his music up on the internet. No promotion. He's not out there doing interviews. He didn't have a label at the time, I don't think. Doesn't play shows. No one knows what he looks like. No one knows anything. He just put this on the internet and people liked it and spread it around and it's really awesome, and it, and it makes... I feel like people who are fans of Paranormal, like, love it so much. Like, it's such a great story, and, like, I feel like I want this guy to succeed so bad, you know? Because it's just so cool that he's doing it entirely his way. What you said? Yeah, it's, um... There's so much bullshit, like, trying, you know... No more bullshit, okay? I, I live that life of, like trying to make like trying to go down tour and record label and blah 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 and like it sucks and it's so much like the same interview over and over and 
chores where it's just like you're miserable and hungry and tired all the time. And it's cool mm-hmm. to see someone succeed just like being like, fuck all that. I'm just going to make my music, put it on the internet, and people are going to like it. It's awesome. Yeah, I think people really resonated with this person because of the obvious DIY quality. He made everything with a MIDI controller, MIDI clips on his computer. And I think for the most part, that's what he did with After the Magic. Um, And I think, you know, obviously we are not able to actively understand what he's saying in the lyrics because not all of them are in English, if any of them. But the emotion coming through the voice is just so universally moving. And I'm really happy to say that I like this album better than the last one. I think it is an improvement on all fronts. On Bandcamp, there are English translations of the lyrics. And mm-hmm. I, I, did I found a, some on uh, Genius. I did a quick well. scan through of them, and it's what you'd expect. It's emo lyrics. Like, they're, yeah. they're very vague. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, this guy doesn't like being personal. There's nothing really personal at all. A lot of imagery of flowers, a lot of stuff about not being a kid anymore. I mean, it's it's the same stuff that if he was from America, he'd probably be singing about. It's the same lyrics you're going to get from any shoegazy emo, from Title Fight or something, you know? Yeah. It's exactly what you would expect the lyrics to be. Title Fight. Interesting that you brought them up because they came up in my in my head when I was listening to this. I was like, this seems, oh, yeah. seems a lot like title fight, even just in the, the sensibility of the songwriting, like very similar to that. I, I think the first, for me, not the first one, the to see the next part of the dream, that one mm-hmm. to me sounded more like title fight than this one, but I still hear it for sure. I mean, I think that's the easiest comparison to make. He leaned into a softer sound on mm-hmm. this one. It's not as... It's where it's heavier. It's where it's heavy. It's heavier than the last record, but overall, even the heavy sections are feel like light and pretty. For sure, the what it made me think of was when Smashing Pumpkins made the leap from like, you know, the record before is like Siamese Dream, like mm-hmm. very influenced by shoegaze. So many ideas, like. I, th- I don't know which one I like better yet, but to see the next part of the dream is definitely more dense with ideas. The melodies just don't stop coming. They're on top of each other. This is more, everything has more room to breathe. It's bigger. We got horns. We got violins. This is melancholy and infinite sadness. Yeah, that's a good comparison. And I kept thinking really about Smashing an interesting Pumpkins. interesting one, too. And, I mean, I think Billy Corgan would love this band. Yeah. The band that stuck out most to me with the singing style and the music as well, like the songwriting, was Sunny Day Real Estate. Yeah, definitely. I'm not very familiar with them, but I mean, I've heard them before and I definitely, I can see it, yeah. Well, one of my criticisms on To See the Next Part of the Dream, the previous record before this one, was that it felt like it kind of dragged on and the songs are really long. Like average song length is about five or six minutes across the record. And that's the same for after the magic. They're all pretty long. The album itself is right under an hour. And having listened to that one, you know, probably about three times, four times, um, 
it has a sort of, it, it goes on a little bit too long. But after the magic, I kind of found myself on subsequent listen or repeat listens, I would hear things in a new way. And I would kind of unlock these melodies that he was playing with. And they're, that quality from Sunny Day Real Estate that I'm most familiar with is from their Pink album, where I think it's just called LP2 uh, officially. But in that one, it's very similar. It's kind of meandering. The songs are a little bit longer than a standard like emo punk song. And the lead singer, Jeremy Enix's voice is just so enigmatic and unique. And Paranol, I think you could... It might be problematic to say, but I think you could say it's like, well, because I'm an American English-speaking listener, it sounds like music made by someone from an Asian country. But he does like, and I I recognize that that's 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 probably an opinion a lot of people have about this. You know, like there there's an immediate out of like out of the norm quality that comes because it's in a different language. However it still has all these sensibilities of American emo music that are like tried and true, but he manages to make them work and pop. And I think that's why their album is so effective is it, it feels old. Like it feels like it came out 20 or 30 years ago, but somehow it came out in 2023. I've been thinking about that too. Just a few weeks ago, me and Courtney, it was just like Saturday, and we just were in the living room, and I put on to see the next part of the dream, and we listened to the whole thing, and um, I, I was thinking, like, if you took the vocals out, I feel like we would be able to tell it was he was Asian, and there's just like... Again, I I hope I'm not like this isn't offensive or like I'm like being ignorant or anything, but like, you know, me and you both played a lot of Japanese video games, and there's a quality to like, you know, I've listened to like a lot of Envy, um, Melt Banana, they're more stuff that's not as spastic, um, a few other like Japanese, mostly like post-hardcore bands, and then all this like JRPG music. There's like this sentimentality. To I, I know Paranol is not Japanese, but there's this uh, deep like sentiment to the Asian music I've heard that's like feels so nostalgic, feels like so much longing that I I don't hear often in American music, and it just seems like this through line, and Paranol has it too. I feel like even without the vocals, you could tell. So put a pin in that. We're talking about sentimentality in Japanese music specifically, but. You know, in some facets of Asian music in general, we'll we'll just we'll just put that a little chunk there. We'll come back to it. I want to ask you: when you say you put an album on, are you guys sitting in a room listening to an album through your speakers and just doing that, or are you like playing a game? What, what do you guys do? You guys do anything else while you're listening to the music? Well, Courtney was like kind of had to do some work, so she was sitting on her laptop, and so I was like, I'll just put some music on on the speaker I got. And this has just been like a go-to album for me the past couple of years. Like when I want something that's like not quite background music, but because the vocals aren't in English, you could like focus on something else. So uh, she was working. I was honestly probably playing Marble Snap. So you guys were just like hanging out in the room. So yeah. my, 
my reasoning for the question is is it's just that I don't find that in my relationship or or really at all because one I mean with the pandemic like I wasn't having anybody over I haven't been around people except to go play card games in the last couple of years so I'm just interested in the fact that you guys are like sitting in a room just listening to music but uh, that doesn't happen often that's more of yeah. like I mean you probably know from living with me like if I'm 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 nonstop listening to music. Like when Courtney was gone, she was gone for like three weeks visiting family. Yeah, I I rarely ever turned the TV on. I was just listening. Like that's just what I do. Courtney's go to is usually to watch something. So, well, that, what's that's interesting more of a, a me thing to put music on is uh I do something similar if Haley were to be out of town. But I've I've found that I spend a lot more time watching YouTube and. That sort of brings me back to the sentimental quality that we were talking about. And there's no arguing against it. Like this album is deeply sentimental. The 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 simplicity of the lyrics. And, you know, we talked about this this idea a little bit on um, our episode of uh, on the song Love Letter by Nick Cave and the Bad Seat. So check that out if you're interested. I my listening of this record was tainted because I've been doing two things this week, or three things that are important. One, I'm moving across the country in a month. As of the recording of this episode, There's, I think we now have uh, 26 days until we move. And the, th- the second thing I've been doing is I've been watching these YouTube documentaries about video games. Specifically, I've been watching them about Japanese RPGs. So I watched one about like The Legend of Dragoon, Persona, Persona 3, 4, and 5, and one that I, I, I couldn't shake, Chrono Cross. Now, I played Persona 3, played Persona 5, I've played Chrono Cross, haven't played Legend of Dragoon. The reason I name all these names is that, one, the soundtracks in the Persona games are fucking killer, and there is a quality in the synth sounds that he's using on this record that feels like video game music. And specifically... I would recommend anyone listening who is just interested in this kind of stuff, look up the OST for Chrono Cross, listen to a little bit of that, and then put on this perennial record. You're going to get a very similar feeling. So do you agree with me that like what you know of Asian music across the board has, like even the little amount of K-pop and J-pop I've heard has this like sentimentality that I just don't hear in like Western music? I say this... Not to be argumentative or like to not to to not to like I'm not actively disagreeing with you, but it's like I don't know if I can make a claim that like all Asian music sounds that way, but like because obviously Melt Banana doesn't sound like this, but I do think that it's less about that it's Asian and more about like it just so happens that he's from South Korea, but the music itself is so. It feels so nostalgic. Like we talked about, um, we've talked about in the past about how Paranol would make like, if um, the woman who's currently helming the Kingdom Hearts soundtracks and composing music for that, if she wasn't doing it, Paranol would be like the next best choice to make all the music for Kingdom Hearts because Kingdom Hearts is sentimental and nostalgic. And you, you like, Paranol has managed to fit these sounds and textures into this box 
where it feels like you're opening a time capsule to something and you could it could just be like the you know anime music video intro to a video game on PlayStation 1. You know what I mean? I'm just wondering if it's like a style of scales and note choices that are in oh. the zeitgeist over there that just aren't what our brains would go towards because like I've been trying to learn more about classical music this year and I'm noticing that like Okay, Russian classical music sounds really different than German classical music, and that sounds mm-hmm. really different than, um, like French or Italian, that area. Like, I'm learning, like, okay, Tchaikovsky, like, he sounds like all these Russian guys, and, you know, Wagner sounds like all these German guys, whatever. So, so I'm just wondering if there's, like, the style of melody that people in Asia gravitate towards that hits us. As nostalgic. That's a really good idea. Uh, I haven't, I honestly didn't think about it super deeply. I was more so honing in on the feeling that I got listening to this, but I mean, different music notes impact us emotionally. Like, that's a fact. So I think you're onto something. And there's, there's like, you know, the Arabic scales that are like sound weird to us because they use mm-hmm. like quarter, quarter note increments. Mm hmm. You know, that that made its way to San Diego, where you are, Jake, and turned into surf rock. That's why surf rock sounds the way it does, like, mm-hmm. because it's influenced by Arabic music. And, you know, these different parts of the world do gravitate towards different melodies. And yeah. just all the, the, the little Asian music I know, it all hits, feels like this to me. It all feels nostalgic. No, I, I, I really think you're onto something. I just, I can't speak too much on it because, I don't know, though. I mean, it's like, I have heard, like... I'm familiar with some Japanese like jazz and, you know, um, I don't know the origin of Yellow Magic Orchestra, but even their music kind of has that quality. I know that Japanese music also borrows a lot from American music. And you can even see that throughout the Persona soundtracks. Like Persona 3 came out in like the mid to late 2000s and it's like got a hip hop, like trip hop soundtrack. Persona 4 kind of natural progression and then Persona 5 has like a fucking Jamiroquai funk going on. So I think there is definitely like they're bringing something else to the table. I, I don't know. That's that's fascinating. I, I wish we had like a like a live like research intern who could like who had hands that could <laughs> look that up for us. Yeah, I wish we had an intern dog. She called, so she while we're on this topic, I wanna I wanna shout out there is like this wave of Korean music sort of hitting American audiences that's really cool to see. Other than Paranol, there's... Um, I don't think this band's associated with them at all. They're called Say Sumi. Three mm-hmm. words, S-A-Y-S-U-E-M-E. They sound just like the band always. Oh. They're, it's like power pop. It's it's so catchy. They're awesome. There's um, a band called Delazir. And I, I think it's a guy, he played guitar on this Paranol record. And then there's a band called Asian Glow. And that's a, they've done that, they've that, done they've ahead. done work with Paranol. There's a split LP called Paraglow. Paraglow, it's yeah. Like collaboration between them. You beat me to that. I was gonna mention that. <laughs> there's this cool wave of like South Korean emo that's like mm-hmm. for all I know, it could have been big in South Korea for decades, but it's like sort of blowing up at least in the like 
you know, punk indie world in America, and it's really cool. I'm still kind of reeling from your Smashing Pumpkins reference. Like that is such a. I, I'm not. I've never really like. I I know Melancholy. I've listened to that record, and it's Smashing Pumpkins well, is always a band I've wanted to like more, and I feel like I needed to give them more of a dedicated listen. I think there's this thing. Well, I, mean, I don't think I know it. And in, in, in like punk and, and indie and DIY music, it's not cool to be ambitious. It's right. Like. You, you know, you want to sound lo-fi, and you just want to like. I don't, it's just not cool to like want to be King Crimson or Foreigners or Genesis or something. And that's I what don't know if Smashing I would Pumpkins, lump all those bands together, but sure. <laughs> that's what made Smashing Pumpkins different. What I'm getting at is arena rock. Smashing Pumpkins were like, they were writing songs for arenas, and yes, they used a lot of the framework of, um, punk and shoegaze. But Billy Corgan wanted to be. King Crimson a lot more than he wanted to be Fugazi. That's true. And that's what I hear in Paranol. This These are like arena size. So these songs are epic. Like, I don't know if because of the culture in America, if he was in America, he might not be making music like this because it wouldn't be cool. Like, or maybe he doesn't just doesn't give a fuck, but right. I feel like the indie scene in America doesn't reward huge ambition like this. And that's what makes me think of the Smashing Pumpkins is they, they were just a unique band like that. Yeah, I wonder if that like that idea of like rewarding ambition is that an is that like does America award ambitious music? Like is is a nor is like our area of the country like North America do, do we award people for like making music that's like cutting edge, do you think? I think pop does, like, you know, Beyoncé, uh Kendrick, Anoni, you know. Yeah, uh I mean, Blood Orange. Arcade Fire the suburbs and hugely ambitious out like yeah but there's just something about punk that's like that's not cool like, right there's not a lot of punk artists that try to write like arena rock huge anthems even though there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that but once they do they get exiled you know rise against or something they get exiled from the community kind of like oh they're not punk anymore isn't that interesting i think about rise against sometimes i'm like whatever like and that's what yeah everyone called smashing pumpkins a grunge band when they were coming up and then Billy Corgan was like, yeah, but I want to write these like huge, sweeping, operatic yeah. songs. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, uh, you're not grunge anymore. Well, it's like even like Bad Religion tried to do a prog record and nobody dug it. Yeah. And, and it's, it, like, it's pretty good. It would be a lot better if they made it when they weren't like 18. Right. But yeah, there's just something about punk and that subculture that doesn't want you to shoot for the stars. I don't know why. Do you think... After the magic shoots for the stars, yeah, I think that. I mean, I hear a lot of like arena rock. Like, yeah, these songs are huge. These songs are massive. I hear a lot of prog. I hear a lot of prog rock influence. You know what I think is unfortunate is that it's both like punk rock and like unfortunate in that like there's a chance we may never know who this person is, and if we do. There's also a chance that we may never get to see them play these songs live. And I feel like this music would just sound so good in a venue. It'd be like such a cool experience to see, you know? And who I knows? Mean, I think I'm guessing this guy's twenty or twenty one. There was a few lyrics I saw in Bandcamp about turning twenty. Yeah. So he's very young, which is incredible. Because <laughs> there's already a big body of music. Mm-hmm. But it's a mature songwriting too. I mean, 
Um, I won't, I'll let you continue your point, but I think uh, the second to last song on the record, Blossom, has this singing melody where it's like, like it's like, it's like not, it's like, it feels like it could be a bad religion melody, but it's like hauntingly beautiful. Dude, what's crazy is I've listened to the other one to see the next part of the dream so much that like, I don't know what the words mean, but there's parts of the songs where like, I know the syllables. Yeah. Even though they're in Korean. Um, What was I saying? We were talking about it being arena. Oh, I mean, he's right now. He absolutely, it seems has no intentions of ever playing, playing live, but he's only 20 or 21. So who knows in five years that could change. Yeah. I mean, but as of right now, it looks like he's just going to drop music on the internet. And I think that's really cool. I, I And Top Shelf Records signed him. We didn't mention that. This record's coming out in America, at least through Top Shelf Records. I didn't even know sort Top Shelf like, was still a, a label. That's cool. You know, one of the major emo labels, for sure, of the past wow. 10, 15 years. That's wild to me. That's really cool. That's good Good for Paranol. It's going to make yeah, some money, it's, probably. I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's a perfect fit. And it's cool they're committing to an artist that, like, you know, he's not making money for them out on tour with merch. Like, they're just, they believe in the music. It's cool. Yeah. And I think that's been apparent in all of the, like, collabs Paranol's been popping up in. Like, that's another cool thing about the South Korean, you know, emo scene, whatever you want to call it, is they all collab with each other constantly. That's not yeah. something bands in America don't really do that. That's something we solo artists collaborate mm-hmm. with each other. We don't really see a lot of bands collaborating with other bands. Well, that's that's so cool that you say that because I've been thinking about when's the last time you saw a split record come out? I mean, they, they still happen definitely not like they did in the 90s or even when we were teenagers. I feel like when we were going to shows, splits were happening all yeah. the time and they were fucking awesome. Like well, well, Loma Prieta, the, Rayan, fucking, like, it was awesome. Part of the appeal of a split is... Okay, we can split the cost right. of putting a record out. Yeah. Spotify has kind of changed that. Like, I don't need to split the cost with another band. We can just not make vinyl and just throw it up on the internet. So I think that's that, that's probably a large region reason why they region went away. The only band, like the only like punk collaborative record I can think of recently is five or six years ago, maybe Touche More and Self Defense Family did a collaborative split like they wrote the songs together yeah formed them together that's the only thing i can think of well what about that law dispute touche amore split oh yeah but that's like 12 years old at this point but, that, yeah. but that's like sort of the goal like when i think of splits that's like the album i think of because wasn't the whole conceit of that is they were both writing like law dispute was trying to write Touche Amore songs, and then Touche Amore tried to do mm. a lot of dispute stuff. They like tried I don't know, to, but that makes sense. They tried to they make it in the other band style. They sing on each other's songs. Yeah, it's truly collaborative. And I don't know why that's not like we don't. Um, it's not weird if Taylor Swift collaborates with Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, but for some reason it is weird if like the Menzingers wrote a song together with uh, Alkaline Trio or something. Like it's just not something bands do i don't know why god that would be awesome though matt skiba on a menzingers track yeah why don't bands like i don't know that that should be a thing we all do in a world I, where I, I, tony I hawk love... can cover uh <laughs> superman with goldfinger yeah. i feel like anything's possible cool. 
I, I would love if this thing going on in South Korea catches on, though. I, I love how all these artists just collaborate with each other. Yeah, well, I think we're seeing, um, especially with like female musicians right now, there's a big wave of like collaborative supergroups and stuff going on, which is cool to see. And that's what Asian Glow is. I don't know if it's one person or not, but it's a female vocalist. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, that's what I know of it. And she sounds, they, or the music too, it sounds so much like My Bloody Valentine. It's crazy. That's so cool. That's so cool. I haven't listened to the Paraglow, um, the thing they did together, but I've listened to some Asian Glow songs and they are channeling My Bloody Valentine like crazy. And I mean that with all, like, that's a hard thing to nail, like those haunting melodies and they, they really do nail it. I'm trying to sort of chase the thread here. So I'm going to ask this next question I had for you. Just because we're on the topic, who do you who would you like to see of your favorite artists collaborate with Paranol? I mean, what I would love is Title Fight to reunite, and you know, because that's the when I think of a Paranol, I think of Title Fight. Right. If you can't that get be, that though, who who does who do you team Paranol up with? I think Peach House would be really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of people who do that like dreamy. Yeah, Beach House would be great. Um, 10 Tricks Point Never would be mm-hmm. great. That'd be cool. There's some Always. really interesting electronic music, like ambience going on on this record. Really cool. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know and what I was? Any of the like. You know what I was going to suggest was um, Grouper. Grouper, yeah. I think they I feel like I mean, they'd there, be perfect together. There's so many because Paranol touches on so many different like threads of, mm-hmm. of subgenres. Because yeah. I, I feel like he's got some like. Um, almost like gothy, definitely. Uh, EDM stuff he could do in the future. So mm-hmm. like, I could see him collaborating with like Cold Cave or something. I mean, it's endless. Talk about a band that everybody seems to love in San Diego. Every fucking person, I see a Cold Cave shirt every oh, other really? day walking around here. Are, yeah. they, is, are they from there? Is, is I don't. I, I don't know. I've tried listening to Cold Cave. It's not for me. But I know like every fucking hardcore kid here loves that band, and every fucking well, hardcore kid in Louisville did too. Yeah, the singer is from American Nightmare, so that's why they got the See, hardcore. that's that's what it is. Um, and American Nightmare just put out a new song. Is it, is it good? Yeah. Man, I remember there was something that happened in like the mid to late 2000s. It must have been like the, like the late 2000s, early 2010s, where American Nightmare reunited or something. Do you remember that? There's oh, a, yeah. It was like a huge fucking deal. That was like when deal. all the hardcore bands were reuniting, yeah. Um, yeah, I, was, I just... I, I've, I, I guess this leads me to another exciting... Uh, man, I, I've been so in my head that I sound I, I'm I'm too stuttery. This leads me to my uh, next, like my next idea about this, which is like it's interesting that this album feels a lot softer and prettier than to see the next part of the dream, but it's also leans into like Scram's territory. Did you catch that at all? Not like. Do you remember where? Not really. I don't remember too many heavy. So he does these sections where he does like a singing yell where it's like, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of the quintessential like emo yell. I need to find it. I I remember that there being that a few times on the previous one The where he like kind of breaks his voice a little bit. Like, well, it's not even, it's not even just that. It's like the gains clipping Mm -hmm. and it sounds so heavy and I and that's another thing too where it's like it's that's that's why I mentioned the Loma Prieta Reigns uh, uh, split because mm-hmm. 
music-wise, this is a Rayan record. Like driving guitars, bass, the drum fills on this album. There are some drum fills on this that are like ear candy. Like I could just listen to him forever. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask. Like, I don't know how the fuck he programs those drums to sound that way. Yeah, are they also like... I guess we'll he's got to be doing some live instruments. There's somebody who's doing live instruments for him now. I, I can't imagine. He's not out there doing interviews or anything, but if he is programming all these drums, that is. I mean, on Bandcamp, the only credits are for um, live strings and trumpets. Mm -hmm. There's no mention. He could be recording live drums himself, but he, he doesn't mention any drummers. But like, right. these are pro some of these fills. I was. I was going to say the same thing. If these are like MIDI, like it's it's incredible. And they sound so good. He has, I, I think there was a charm on the last record where you can hear the tracks clipping as yeah. he like triggers them. And I don't hear, I didn't hear a lot of that. I heard a lot of like what I felt to be purposeful mm. feedback yeah. and delay. I, I was going to say, I, I hear it, but it seems, yeah, it seems like he's doing it on purpose mm -hmm. and he's almost like, Leaning into it more to make it noisier, right? There, it's a no, this is a noisy record. It's it's even hard to say, but it's noisier than the last one was. Yeah, I agree. the the uh, The first one definitely is more of a lo-fi. There's still a lot of that, like clipping. Yeah, but it seems like he knows what he's doing now, and he's doing it on purpose. I agree. Um, in the video for "We Shine at Night," there's a music video for it that came out. No, I didn't. Uh, well, I guess obviously he's not in it. What's the video? Of? It's just of some like kids, like a couple, ha like one has like a guitar strapped on their back and it looks like they're kind of like just shooting a video on the beach and they're like wearing like winter coats and it's just really kind of romantic and, you know, it looks a lot like, I don't know if you've ever seen the music video for Everything is a Balloon by Boards of Canada. No. It looks kind of like that. Like that'd be another great collaboration. So uh, worth checking out. It fits the vibe of the record perfectly. Dude, this project is so fucking cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, I was just thinking about how, like everyone, you know, you just have to like do this social media shit, and like yeah. everyone knows everything about everyone, and it's so cool that like we don't know who this guy is. Yeah, I I think that adds a nice mystique to it. I think I was. In preparation for the episode, I was like, I guess I should probably make sure that these are, like, if he's if he's doing live instruments or if these are MIDI clips. But I was like, well, that's that's kind know. of the whole thing is like it doesn't really matter. This this like in the in a world where music can be generated by chatbot, it's like you know music can just show up out of nowhere and be incredible. Yeah, no AI can make this. If an AI can make music like this, then I don't want to live anymore. Like, this is, like, so emotional. That's what's, like... You know, you always bring up how much I care about lyrics. That's what's makes this guy so amazing, is that, like, I don't know what he's saying, and I still feel like I know what each song is about. There's so right. much longing and and love and emotion in these songs. And he... he it's really incredible. I think that's what really worked for me on this record, too, is he explored his different ranges like he's clearly kind of a mid range singer but he, the way he you know the production and the filters he puts on his vocals help but there's definitely a quality that is 
where he you can see that he's experimenting more, you know. And I think the only thing that he did write about this album when it came out is he was like, "This isn't going to be what everybody expects, but I'm very happy with it." Which I thought was like, how often do you hear a musician say that when they put music out? You know what I mean? There's one little note he put on Bandcamp. Did you see this? I don't think so. Read it to me. Okay, I'm gonna read it. It's it's, it's it made me really sad because I feel like I totally know what he's saying. Okay, it says, "I'm always afraid." When what I have now will disappear, and when people will leave me, mm-hmm. I think these are—I think these are some kind of magic that will shine bright for a while and then lights out like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. This is an album that I made with my dreams. I dreamed after my second album, thanks to the people all over the world. And I was like, that fucking hit me. I know that feeling of like when something good happens and you can't even appreciate it. You're just like, when's it gonna? Oh, when it's when's gonna the end? other shoe gonna drop? And I was like, fuck, dude. It was like two sentences, and I was like, that is what your music's mm-hmm. about. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is like, like it's insane because I all, when I looked up the lyrics too, I was like, you know, I don't really need to study these too much. Like, this is all music about feeling and what it and how it impacts you in that way. And you know, I saw that movie. I think this is a great comparison. I saw that movie Skinamarink, which I won't spoil it all for you, but a lot of that movie is a lot like how this record is where it's like, you can't really, you don't really know what's going on the entire time, but there's a feeling that just washes over you. And it's like, this album is very much like, it was kind of challenging at first when I first put it on, I was like, Oh, this kind of sounds like the last one. I don't really know if I'm going to like it that much. And I think I'm also a little bit skeptical with music from repeat artists anyway, because I'm never really sure if I'm going to... Like, it's going to be hard whenever Viagra Boys puts a new record out because I liked that last one so much. But after hearing the B-sides, which I could do like a whole other episode on those B-sides, um, or not the B-sides, but the the extra tracks they put on the deluxe record. Um, anyway, that's my long-winded way of saying that like this is an album that really rewards you stepping into that ass, so to speak. <laughs> that's gonna be, no other person reviewing this album is gonna give you something like yeah. that. You gotta step up in that ass, Larry. <laughs> I, I I wrote down a few like specific moments on songs I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about. I don't know if you have any so the album opens with that acoustic guitar on Polaris. Yeah. Shout out Marvel X Men. Shout out Polaris. Um Marvel Sunspot guy. I doubt you know this song. There's a song by the replacements called Here Comes a Regular. Have you ever heard it? I'm not a I'm not up on the replacement, so I can't meet you halfway. It's an it's it's an acoustic driven song, and I think it's the same exact chord changes. Here comes friend. So it immediately, and it's the same like kind of tone. It immediately makes me think of this song. Yeah, and I think it's just coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to do a replacements episode sometimes sometime this year. You name name the record and the place and the time, and we'll do it. Well, these songs are so deep. We could just do a song like we do Nick Cave. Mm-hmm. Um, this song here comes a regular. Real quick, this is one of my favorite replacement songs. It's about um, just being maybe like our age and always have spending your whole life wanting to be like special, like, you know, this important musician or writer and realizing you're just a regular guy. Mm -hmm. So it's like a double meeting. It's like he's sitting at the bar and he's at the bar all the time. He's a regular at the bar, Mm -hmm. but he's also realizing I'm just a regular person. I'm, I'm not special. And... It's such a good song, and I feel like that's the same sort of sentiment Paranol is saying, yeah. and it was just such a cool moment 
to tie those two things really together. Really cool. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite moment on the album is on Parade, where, I mean, I'm sure you loved it too. There's the part where the song breaks in the middle, mm -hmm. and there's the fireworks going off. Yeah. And then the drum fill comes in, matching the rhythm of the fireworks, mm -hmm. and then it comes back in. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. I've never heard something like that. It just makes me want to like get out of my chair and just like fist pump. Fist pump. Yeah, it's pretty. It was. It was pretty so. Great. That's like, a standout track. So creative, and it's such a cool way to break the song. Like, oh my god, I was just like, I want to find this guy and give him a hug. So, um, the track that stuck out the most to me was the eighth track, I believe. Um, that's the one that's got the the dull vocals that has um. Della Zur or whatever singing on it. Yeah, it's got um there's like some vocator going on, some uh what's the song, the Kanye West song? I'm up in the woods, down on my mind, and I build a city. I know what you're talking about. I thought of Kanye on track six sketchbook. Yeah, okay, so I yeah, I um Maybe I'm thinking a sketchbook. Percussion. But hold on a second. Let me play the song and we can edit this out because now I'm worried. I'm I I had this marked down to talk about and I don't want to sound stupid. Oh, we'll leave it in. This is real. So sketchbook is probably my least favorite song. I, it has those weird like bird noises. I don't care for the auto tune. It'll it might grow on me though. That's the thing about Paranoia's. That first album grew and grew and grew on me. Okay, so I'm thinking a sketchbook. Um, I apologize. Um, there's a lot on this. This is something else I was going to talk about too. There's a lot of like recurring sounds and notes that happen across this album where I think it's a lot more conceptual than the last one was. So some of it kind of bleeds into the other. So it's interesting. There is sort of a, like a soul, no pun intended, soul Korea. Um, sort of a soul hip hop vibe going on with that song. And, a, and like, it's crazy that 808s came out like 10 years ago or 20 years ago at this point, right? 15, something like that, 2008? Uh, yeah, probably 15 years ago. And wow. I, th I was like, this sounds like fucking 808s. And I, I, I know that Kanye is like a touchy subject right now, so we'll, you know, controversy noted, but... I just couldn't help but think of how like cool it would be if he was like listening he had been listening to 808s during the writing process of this album because there's very much like a this album feels a lot more poppy than the last one did. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I you know, I hesitate I mean, I I wouldn't call these pop songs but uh, but they aren't that far off. Like I mean, I just mean in the sense that like it's very produced, like it's more pro like mm -hmm. it sounds better. It 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 sounds like a lo-fi record that was made to sound like a more like it's more polished. It's a more polished lo-fi sound. You know what I mean? And I think that a, also, a lot of like 808s was it had that sort of DIY quality to it. Like you know, it, it this album feels kind of maximalist at times, but it's it I feel like it feels minimal no at some points too. I think the the song order is more important on this Definitely. one. Definitely. The 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 other one you can just listen to on shuffle and I don't know, it's just like really fun and it doesn't really matter. 
this one is more of a journey. Mm-hmm. And in fact, so when it came out on Saturday, me and Courtney were going to Lexington for the day. Mm-hmm. So I, I listened to it on the drive there. And I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. And then a couple days later, I listened to it again, and I accidentally had my Spotify on shuffle. And I was like, this album's boring. Mm-hmm. Why is this boring now? And it was because I had it on shuffle. Yeah, the sequencing is like, important. The, 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 the order matters on this one. I don't think it really would matter on the other mm-hmm. one. but and, and that's sort of like, that comes with the maximalism, with the, the bigger stage. You're going to put more thought into the order of the song. Yeah, he, he really leveled up on this one because some of these songs I don't think I could have see, seen him doing on the last record, and he swung for the fences on this. You can tell. You can tell this was like an he, important record to him. Like it was important for him to make it. Well, yeah, when that first one came out, I remember you put a little note that was like, I, it was pretty much like, I, I suck at music. I don't know if I'll ever make music again. Here you go. Yeah. And, and the world couldn't it seems have like, responded any differently. Yeah, and I think everyone just responded so positively that he decided to keep going. The, the I don't think they're on the song a lot, but on Arrival, those horns... Yeah, the horns are really... I fucking love that part. Yeah, I can hear that too. I think that's the one where the drum the drum fills are great too. It's like... You know what I mean? Yeah, the way the snare fills are like... You know, like when you when you hit a snare drum with a drumstick, it like bounces off mm-hmm. and like... It, if those are programmed, it's just It's like really crazy. Board. And you know... Emo music, I think, to us has always been associated with like noodly guitar. There's really not any of that on this. It's all very much like driving uh, power chords and bar chords and stuff like that. But what I noticed is no. that the drum licks are noodly. Like some of them are just like mm. so noodly, and like that's like that because uh, as I was saying, as I was singing those little those little drum fills. I was like, oh, it sounds like Man on Fire by Good Luck a little bit, you know? Like if you took the, the guitar lick from Good Luck and put it in this on this drum track. The internet loves to call Paranol a shoegaze artist. Do you agree with that? Yeah, to an extent. I think I just don't know what shoegaze is because in my head I fucking hate shoegaze, but I love Paranol, so maybe I like I shoegaze. I think you like shoegaze because you liked um, Pity Sex, who I think dabbled in that. Yeah. And then there was another band that I think Android 18 played with that was Gazy. I can't remember what they were called. Maybe I just don't like My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. I, I mean, dude, hot take, but I like My Bloody Valentine, but I'm not like a diehard fan. You know? I'm not, I, I don't think Loveless mm-hmm. would make like my top albums or anything. You know what I mean? I feel like it's kind of just like, something that you have to, that everybody's kind of heard, but I think it's a little overrated if I'm being honest. Yeah, just like something about My Bloody Valentine, just, it was just like too, it's too noisy for me. And to like, me, it's the recording quality, 100%. You can't, that fucking first song, uh, what's the first track called on that album? I, it's the one everyone yeah, knows. It's, yeah, I don't know I have to look it up because exactly it's going to bother me, but... Um, that's a fucking awesome song. The way awesome the guitar like that effect where it sounds like they're being like detuned and it's just like annoying to me. Uh, only shallow because it's that drum. It's that uh, there's that drum intro where it's like 
And like, what a great intro to an album, but it's like, they don't hit as hard as they can because I think the recording quality is so poor. And that's why I think Paranol works really well as a shoegaze band because you can hear what's happening and it's layered. And I think that there are shoegaze bands that hope to get that kind of layering quality that he really nails on this record. Yeah, Wikipedia says that Loveless is the defining album of the genre. It's definitely like, that's what you think of when it comes to shoegaze music. But that's what's that's the thing is, I, I think the argument that I would make is After the Magic is an emo record. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what I was getting at. Like, according to Wikipedia, it says shoegaze... Um, obscured vocals, overwhel- overwhelming volume, and distorted guitars and feedback. I don't really like any of that. Yeah. But it also says it's very poppy. I do like that. So it's sort of mm-hmm. like... Yeah, but a lot of the stuff, you know, a lot of the like slow dive, ride, Jesus and Mary Chain, I don't really like any of that. But I love Paranol. Any... Um, and when... Well, go ahead. And when like punk bands bring in shoegaze influences, like... I love Floral Green by Title Fight. Right. I do like yeah. that. But even even then, it's like they're still doing Title Fight just slower. So it's like, is Shoegaze just like punk music with delay? And then if we want to talk or about reverb, Death Heaven. Death Heaven. I do like some Death Heaven. You like Death Heaven? Do you oh, like yeah. that newer record? The one that's like a rock no. record? I, have you, did you listen to it? I didn't finish it. I didn't care for it that much. I don't know if I finished it either. It sounded a lot like AFI to me and not good AFI. I, I was really intrigued by how it, it sounded almost like, like country-ish at some points. And then they keep that screaming. And I thought that was really cool, but I don't know. I mean... I think you might be thinking of two records ago. The most recent record is almost all... Singing. Oh, you're talking about uh, the one that's like Infinite Granite or whatever? Yeah. Okay, so I actually liked that record. The one before it, I was um, not as crazy about. I've listened, I listened to, that was, I think, like a, that was on my list. That, that was something I considered for the Jubies that year, I believe. Yeah, Infinite Granite, I just didn't care for. I do appreciate the Deaf Heaven keeps changing it up, though, kind of like Ceremony. So you liked the one before it, huh? I like that better, but I mean, it's still, nothing has touched Sunbather, you know. I mean, that was kind of like lightning in a bottle. The timing of that yeah. was just I mean, that insane. Was like, yeah, I remember when that came out. It was just that was like, a huge moment. And and even like I don't like metal at all. Like they just found this audience of so many different people that wouldn't normally listen to that kind of music. Yeah, I think I'll go back to it. It's called Ordinary Corrupt Human Love. Ordinary Corrupt Human Love. Yeah, I'll go back to that yeah. one. I also. Have not, I'll admit, I haven't really listened to New, Ber- New Bermuda, and I need to listen to Roads to Judah. Those are ones that have been kind of glaring. Another band I that... Well, go ahead. I'll tell you after. One time we were on tour, and I just remember the sound guy was playing Sunbather while we were setting uh-huh. up, and I was just like, fuck yeah. This is the kind of music I want to hear before playing. Well, it's because like, like the song Sunbather is just so good, and it's just like... And it sounds a lot like Paranol. It's like the guitar riff's just like, there's like some delay and reverb on it. So it it's like, sounds like he's picking a lot faster than he is. And there's like some lag. And that, that riff is just so good. 
You know how like people do the thing on YouTube where it'll be like, um, it'll be like, here's a Tame Impala song slowed down ten times. Oh yeah, slowed and reverbed. Yeah, Sunbather is like scram slowed and reverbed. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why I like it because I don't like how spastic scram yeah. is. Yeah, gives you, you anxiety. Slow it down, yeah, if you slow it down, I love it. Yeah, I saw a funny meme today where somebody was like, stop making slowed and reverb songs on YouTube. We need plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> There's this one guy who makes Tame Impala songs out of like Donald Trump and Kanye speeches, and it's so I bet funny. they're really funny. It's crazy. Man, Kanye really disappeared after all that controversy. I haven't heard anything about him recently. Yeah, well, now he like it's gonna be hard to top it. He's like, okay, he's I, like, I, I gotta love Hitler. He's what? like, what do I gotta say now? Like, he's brainstorming. Like, what's more offensive? I gotta figure. Yeah, out. I don't know. I I think he's kind of he's pretty much tarnished his entire legacy. So at this point, it's like you can really only he's just. We'll see. We love a comeback story. Well, Nothing he, we like he's more. got a lot to answer for for his comeback, and it's not gonna be another. It's not gonna be Jesus Part Two, the documentary on brought to you by Netflix. Well, we know he loves nothing more than apologizing. So he'll maybe he'll, maybe that's the collab record we're not talking about. Him and Tucker Carlson. It's not, you know, out of the realm of possibility. Mama, I made this song. It's got Tucker Carlson. Have you heard? Have you seen those? They're like, like meme videos where they take Kanye samples, and it's like, it's like him and Drake, and he's like, Kanye, it's me, Drake. I'm, I am oh, here yeah. to see you. How are you, friend? <laughs> he's like, fuck you, Drake. I did not want to do that song with you. Like, they're so fun. They're just so good. Did you see Tucker Carlson the other day said nicotine was good for you? Man, fuck Tucker Carlson. He said, um, all the liberals want you to smoke weed because it slows your mind down and keeps your mind in a cage. Nicotine frees your mind. Yeah, definitely, definitely didn't get some money from a tobacco company after that fucking (laughs) aired. I was like, that's pretty blatant. Yeah, you're an asshole. I fucking hate that guy, honestly. I, I don't and I don't engage with any of that. Like, obviously, I fucking do, I hate Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro and all those assholes. But like Tucker Carlson, like I I viscerally react when I see. Have you seen those videos of him getting accosted in like like department stores where people are like, "Oh yeah, you're an asshole." I'm just like I live for that stuff because he is a grade A fucking mashed of fucking bagged bag of assholes. Fuck that guy. I'm I'm the opposite. I don't Tucker Carlson doesn't make me angry, but I I am very scared of Jordan Peterson. I mean, they're all scary. I think it's just because Tucker Carlson. I think it's because I learned like a while back. I learned that Tucker Carlson like didn't used to be the way that he is now. Like he he was like interested in like. That's why it doesn't like. Yeah. It's the same as Rush Limbaugh. I'm just like. There's probably just, just a part of him that's just like getting paid so much money to like read this stuff that people are writing for him. Yeah. So anyway, it's like theater, but Ben, Ben Shapiro and those kind of people, I'm, I'm like, Oh, these guys are smart. Like this is, smart. yeah, they're, they're, they're smart in the sense that they know how to market their ideology to people who are, uh, not smart enough to think critically about what they're listening to. But I digress. Let's talk about our friend Paranol and not those assholes. Even though I think I, I was the one who got us started on that, I'm just I'm ending it now because I don't want to sound like some angry liberal. Well, did you see Paranol on Tucker Carlson? He was on there. 
that? Was he? Was he? Was what he? That was how he revealed himself. That was, well, he was upset about the M and M's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Farinol, um will never eat M and M's. He's a big fan of Maya Rudolph. Bring the though. sexy green M and M back. Yeah. Honestly, just like. Put Maya Rudolph in a green M&M costume. That'll be even sexier, though. I, that might be the Super Bowl. I, I hope that's what it is. Maya Rudolph's fucking hot, so I would I would be into that. Well, you got to go through Paul Thomas Anderson first. Is that who she's... Oh, I keep forgetting she's married to him. Sorry, PTA. They're married. It's like it's like the best power couple. I know he's listening to this, so sorry, PTA. No offense. Your wife's beautiful. Maya, if you're listening to this, you're beautiful. I mean, no offense. I thought it was interesting. Is this just a classic Ian overthinking things? To see the next part of the dream, the album art is, you know, the sky. Mm -hmm. This album artwork is the ground. It's a guy standing on the ground. Do you think there's any significance to that? Funny you should ask. Mainly because I was going to ask you. Um, So I think there's an argument to be made that this is just like a quintessential emo cover overexposed oh definitely yeah overexposed the lighting so have you seen the fablemans yet no okay well i can't talk about this then until you see that movie um unless you don't plan to watch it are you gonna watch it no i'll watch it and i'll probably be watching within the next couple weeks and i'll let you know so what i think is important on this record and then uh the last one is it's less that it's the ground and it's more that the focal point of the album artwork is the horizon. Hmm. So the first one clearly is like a smokestack, either coming from a building, probably a train, because the sounds of the drums and the instruments Dude, sound a lot like is machinery. Like iconic to me. Yeah. I love that album art. Um, it's great album art. I don't know who made it. I don't know if he just made it or something, but I think... I want like a poster of it. I, I think it's it. a great, great fucking... Um, piece of work and then I think after the magic serves because that's one I don't like as much I think because of what you said it just seems like an emo album cover I've seen before but what I do think is that to be the next part of the dream felt a lot more monotone and it lacked color there was like a splattering of it here and there but it was just sky it was just blue and i kind of feel like the album cover for after the magic implies introspection um you know the silhouette of the person we're seeing in the uh, kind of off middle bottom of the shot you know it looks like they're probably in a park or a parking lot and there's sort of a juxtaposition of like empty space right above them as if they're like getting beamed up to heaven. And then, you know, it's just like the trees are kind of getting this kaleidoscopic effect. So I think it's a really beautiful album cover. And I think there's definitely going to be some awesome vinyl printings of this. And it'll be cool if maybe they print the vinyl with uh, the same colors as the album artwork. I think that'll be really neat. Mm-hmm. Um it's not at all the previous record's artwork, but I think it's good. It services what's going on, which is that his music is about sort of hope and horizons and framing shots. Like every song to me is like a different shot of a movie. Like the fire, the fireworks, oh. you know, the, the boat, the boats on the water. Like there's always, it, it feels a lot like, that's why I mentioned like 
FMVs and fucking, you know, AMVs from YouTube. Like, you know, this, you could put like some anime uh, clip with this music in the background and it would be like perfect. Like uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, like anything from that would be great with this. We're working in tandem right now. That, that was perfect segue. Mm-hmm. Well, real quick, I, I tried to find the vinyl information mm-hmm. on Top Shelf's website, but their website looks to be down right now. Because so many people are Googling it right now to get that album. <laughs> I guess so. But um, I was just about to ask you, and then you bring up the cinematic quality. You've been you know, doing focusing a lot on, on movies and TV lately. Shout out your YouTube channel, Curtis Reviews. Curtis Reviews. And I, I think Paranormal's music definitely... Has that quality? What what director or like what kind of story would you want to see with Paranormal's music? Well, I think the easy choice is like Studio Ghibli. You know, that's mm-hmm. not what I'm going to say, but that's like you know, um, perfect. Fit. It, it's just a good I, fit. I would love. Okay, so um, we talked about Tokyo Godfathers on our Christmas movies podcast. So, oh, if yeah. you want to listen to yeah. that, it's not Christmas anymore, but you can save it for next year. Or, if you want to get in the holiday spirit cool now. Movie. So Satoshi Kon's the director of that, right? Mm-hmm. So I would love to see Satoshi Kon. All right, I mean, he's passed away, but he did Perfect Blue, which I've yet to see, but I've seen the animation style for. I feel like I would love it if he, if him and Paranol would collab, if that were ever possible. That's kind of like a dream collab. So that's like my first real choice, but kind of more of a fantasy pick. A more realistic one is um, I feel like who directed Nomadland? Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao. I yeah. think they would make a really good collaboration. Like if she, mm. if he like, if Paranol scored Eternals. Yeah. Or if um, Brian Tyree Henry building some stuff with Paranol playing in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I think that'd be really awesome. Or even like. Um, like a Greta Gerwig like coming of age movie would be awesome. Yeah, I was thinking of that oh Greta Gerwig's a good one. I was thinking who directed book uh Booksmart? Olivia Wilde. That was Olivia Wilde. Yeah, it's wild. Have oh, you wow. seen Don't Worry Darling? It's no, wild it's the same director it. because it's told me it's a piece of shit. It's the one of the wow. worst movies I've seen. It's not a good movie. Man, I love Booksmart. Booksmart's well, a I was fucking say- all-timer. I was gonna say a movie like Booksmart with Paranormal soundtrack. Uh, and then my last idea is, wow, Olivia Wilde. Paranormal sells the rights to his script for After the Magic, and it's called um, Firework Fireworks. Haruki Murakami adapts it, and then Bong Joon Ho directs it. Oh yeah, if Murakami's not heard Paranormal, it. He would like. I shout out Murakami if you're listening. All I could think about was, you know, Kafka on the shore and taking the train to all these different prefectures, working out in these like sort of ambiguous gyms, listening to Radiohead like and Prince with, but like, there's like a cool thing in Persona Three that I never noticed until I watched this video, but the main character always has an MP3 player and he's always got his earbuds in. And the YouTuber was talking about how the music in Persona 3 is what he's listening to all the time, which I thought was such a cool 
uh, flourish to add to like an RPG experience. So my thought was like, make a Kafka on the shore movie and then Paranol scores it. So that's like the music that's happening during the narrative. I mean, a man who can talk to cats, that's, how could that be more perfect? Yeah. Well, you know, there is some sort of South Korea Murakami connection because that movie Burning got made, mm-hmm. the South Korean film based on a Murakami short story. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not impossible. Shout out Murakami. He's the GOAT. I haven't even read his Shout many books. Shout out Drive My Car, that movie from 2021. Still, Everybody should go Still got to watch that. It was on HBO Max. I don't know if it still is. Yeah. Great soundtrack. What you said? Yeah, this album, uh, I think... I mean, this is the first album of this year that I loved. This is... You know, who knows how the year is going to play out, but as of now, I would imagine it'll be on the Jubies. We'll see. Uh, so I was thinking about that. I think the first... There were two big records that came out in January and February last year. I think it was Don FM by The Weeknd was the first big one we reviewed. And then I think there was an Earl Sweatshirt record we did. And then... Black Country, New Road. That was early. Big Thief was early. Um, I think this is our Black Country, New Road. Like, this is the first Juby contender we've talked about. And a pretty easy one at that. Do you have anything to say on the Lil Yachty discourse? I haven't heard the album yet, but I've heard it's pretty good. Well, we'll talk about it more whenever you hear it. I'm... I like... I love Lil Yachty because I don't know if you've listened to like his like Lil Boat stuff from years ago. That's like what I'm most familiar with. But he literally just made like weird trap songs around like Mario 64 music. And mm. like his whole aesthetic was so good. I think he just got a good manager and like he was so goofy and weird. I, I don't necessarily know if I... I don't know though because he, he does do that song Broccoli with Dram... And I love that song, so... Okay, well, that's the only... I, I thought I'd never heard him before. That's the only thing I'd ever heard then until this album. I'll... Just for shits, you probably won't like it, but I'll send you some of the little Boat stuff because that stuff's really fun. And, like, if what he's doing on this newer record, which is... The, the album covers, like, AI art, clearly, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I... I I'll, I'll spoil it. I I, only, I could only make it through like three songs. I didn't like it that much at all. Well, I... Th- I'm shocked that so many people are saying it's like... Good. I mean, people like Lil Yachty. I have always kind of given him... Sound, like... I don't like... I can't stand Tame Impala, and it sounds just like Tame Impala. I, I feel like... I've always given Lil Yachty the side eye because he couldn't finish Hot Ones. <laughs> And like, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure all he, he probably did better than DJ DJ Khaled. And I'm pretty sure he only at that at the time of that interview he was only like eating cheese pizza, and something about that viscerally disturbed me. So, like, I'm not I'm not super invested in him, but I, I'm interested to see what it sounds like. I don't know. I mean, it might it's probably just going to be another like it, it. It just kind of immediately reminds me of like every time a rapper has kind of stepped into making rock music, so it's either going to be good or probably just end up on a shelf somewhere as a cool experiment. I just didn't like, and I think a lot of people feel this way. I saw the Pitchfork article got at this too. This thing where like rappers are like, now I want to be serious, so I'm going to make rock music. 
Like you can fucking go make to pimp a butterfly. You can make serious music and be a Look rapper. Look at what fucking JID did last year. You can do anything. Yeah, like I don't like this idea of like I got to be serious now. Time to make rock. Yeah, well, I think that that is. This is might be a little out there, but I kind of think that that is like white supremacy telling people that rap isn't a serious genre, and I think that's fucking stupid. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, yeah, it's the, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm the person to say that, but like, it's definitely like the music industry, like getting into these people's heads. Like, well, when you sell trap as like a, like a, it's like, it's not just hip hop is more culturally important right now than rock music. Yeah, is. exactly. I mean, arguably the most famous musicians in the world have always been black. Rock bands should be like, I'm going to make a hip hop record to be taken seriously. Yeah, exactly. But I think it that's, that's, that's what's frustrating to me about it is that, that there's any conversation about him being taken seriously is fucking is fucking ridiculous because it's like Lil Yachty like fucking has already proved that he's like an interesting musician. I don't think that your music has to necessarily like be serious in order to be taken seriously. I mean, look at Drake, you know. I know, and even people who make like like they might be giants or weird Al, like they make funny music, but I feel like they're serious artists. They're yeah, artists. exactly. If you like making music then you're serious about and it, even if your music may not be serious. From what I've gathered, Lil Yachty was like silly, but just because you're silly doesn't mean your art isn't like, you don't take it seriously. Exactly. I mean, I, like I said, I'll send you some of the early stuff. It's it, it's interesting. He was doing in, an interesting thing in a time where but yeah, it wasn't. I, I'm just blown away by the love people have for it because it just sounds like, I just don't like psychedelic rock though. Yeah. I, it just sounds like something to just sit there and smoke weed to. Yeah, and you're not a big weed smoker. That's okay. Not a big, not a big one at all. You're more of a, you know, Paranol and Marvel Snap kind of guy. Yeah, Paranol and Marvel Snap. That sounds like a delightful moment. That sounds like you're like probably like your Saturday afternoon after you, you kind of coming down from your boba tea high. Wake up, sit outside on the deck, listen to some Paranol, play some Marvel Snap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Drink some coffee. Yeah. What kind of coffee are you drinking? Well, I got a, a Chemex about a year ago, so that's my, the only thing I use now. Oh, yeah. You're, you, every, you, every morning. You leveled up. I, I don't have a Chemex, but I do pour-overs pretty often. I've actually been making... I've perfected my espresso. been making Americanos at home. Here's a good question for you. Let's say Paranol okay. hits us up, and he's like, you know, hey, really like the podcast. I want my first interview to be with you guys, but I'm going to be in southern Indiana recording with some people for random okay would like can we record it in person what coffee drink do you make him when he when you get there like you're like what do you want to drink you want some you want some coffee or what do you what do you make him i'm just guessing what he's gonna want yeah i'm just gonna make him black coffee okay I think he's a black coffee guy. Yeah. And the good thing about black coffee is if he's not, yeah. I can just add to yeah. it. Yeah. And you you can always get like a little ramekin of like milk and sugar and make a little spread for him so he gets what he wants. But I mean, this is going to sound like a pretentious thing to say. Once I started spending a little more money on the coffee I buy and using a Chemex, black coffee is fucking delicious. Yeah. Honestly, anyone that's still drinking coffee with milk now, I don't trust. Or uh, it's not even the milk for me. It's like the sugar. Yeah, but sugar like, or milk. Once you don't need it, coffee is delicious by itself. If you if you know how to make it. Once you get it. some like good coffee, 
It doesn't. It's because it. most people it's are fucking flavor. drinking. And I sound like one of those coffee snobs, but dude, no, you're not. I, I hate that. I, you're not a snob at all. Like, if you that the problem is, is that the coffee that most people buy is fucking like Kroger, or fucking Meyer coffee. Tastes like ass. Now I, I still do love my McDonald's coffee, but that's the thing. McDonald's coffee is good by itself too. Like it's it's a it's yeah. good. It's not bad. I think they're they're the one good fast food coffee. I don't know, you know what they do. Name another one. You know what I'm saying? Now Burger King gross. Don't White don't tell that garbage. to Corey. You know Corey sent me a message after our, uh, I think the Hallelujah episode. I think we talked about marshmallow fluff, and he was like, "Marshmallow fluff is disgusting." <laughs> Just, just oh, out of nowhere. Well, if Corey doesn't like it, then I... I mean, Corey likes a lot more foods than I do, so if Corey doesn't like it, I probably... Well, my hope is that Marshmallow Fluff hears the podcast and then they make a Mountain Dew flavor and then he'll finally eat it. Well, that'd be a, a real choice for Corey to make. Mm-hmm. make Mountain Dew Marshmallow Fluff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Marshmallow Fluff's probably a good place to end our Paranol podcast. What do you think? What, what would Mountain Dew Paranol be? Because Mountain Dew has a flavor for everything. Uh, I mean, it would probably be Baja Blast, just the color-wise. Mm-hmm. But I would say it'd probably be Mountain Dew Fireworks, and it's it's like it's like a like a lighter colored Mountain Dew liquid, like like sort of a like a platinum. And as you drink it, it changes color in the light. That would probably be expensive. But it would be really cool. Or you just put a shit ton of glitter in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have the perfect answer to this. Usually on these weird questions, you always have better answers, but check this out. All right. Mountain Dew Paranol. Okay. What's more nostalgic than Mountain Dew, the flavor of Capri Sun? <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That's Mountain Dew Paranol. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, shout out Paranol. If you're, shout out Paranol. If somehow you're listening, somehow you're listening, we're we're rooting so hard. We're for We're rooting you. so hard for you. I just want to see this guy. I just want him to get the world like. I just want to see this guy. I love what he's doing. I just want to see I him want the him world like. I just want to see him succeed. The Jubilee Street Prayer. That is our prayer. Also, simultaneously I, happens I to so be much love the Jordan for this guy. Peterson Prayer. I, I, we will be singing your praises as long as you make music, most likely. Also, thanks for making music. You make your projects were are always exciting, and yeah, I just want to tell them. Th- I just want to like find them and tell them thank you. Like, there's not much music. You know, we've heard so many thousands of songs in our life. I don't often hear music anymore. It makes me feel like I was a kid, and this does. Yeah, this is. It's a good feeling. It's, you know, a brisk walk home from the bus depot and. You, you hit that front yeah, you hit that yeah. you hit that front front button on your PS2 when you get home and you pop in X-Men Legends or Jack and Daxter it's it's good shit it's good time that's exactly it yeah all right everybody this was Jubilee Street a music podcast we covered Paranols After the Magic the new banger 2023 record if you liked this episode we have hundreds more some of them are about Nick Cave and the Bad Seed song. Some of them are about other stuff. We've covered everything from Viagra Boys to Sudan Archives. We've even talked about... What other bands have we talked about? Nature documentaries. Nature documentaries. Andrew Dominic's horrible film blonde. We've talked about films. Um, so if you like this, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, like, rate, subscribe, follow, leave a comment. 
leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out. If you want to email us, we've got our email bag at jubileestreetpod at gmail.com and then follow us on Instagram at jubileestreetpod. Um, yeah, thank you all for listening. And What do you think is the weirdest episode we've ever done that was like the most out there? Like, oh, this is weird. This is a stretch to do an episode about this. I just always think of that episode. I think it was a birthday party song where I told that story about like going through my friend's sister's underwear drawer. When I was when I was a kid, <laughs> I think that's probably when I got the most like candid about like how weird I was as like a twelve year old. But I think whatever I think that was a birthday party song. Well, I meant the top the like weirdest topic. Like this is a weird thing to do an episode on. I don't know. I feel like all our episodes are pretty standard for a music podcast. I don't know. What do you think? I think that that the the Velvet Queen. I was like, okay, this. It ended up being awesome because I love the documentary. But I was like, if I if I'm not in this documentary, this is gonna be tough to do an episode about this. Yeah, I think it's but it worked. It's out. good that we realized that uh, Dahmer was uh, the music was done by Warren Ellis and Nick Cave. Uh, it's good that we didn't realize that till later, so we didn't have to do an episode on it. Well, this year. I vow that we do an episode, a really weird episode topic. Like, we're going to do an episode about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Something weird like that. We could do one about apples. At, like, we're just going to pick something totally random, and we got to talk about it for half an hour. Yeah, maybe that'll be the episode we have Corey on. Like, we can talk about, like, Mountain Dew. No, it's got to be something random. It's got to be something he doesn't care about. We're going to talk about um, different choices on what color to paint your car okay i like that what color to paint your car and need for speed underground too. but that can't actually be it because now we're you know it's, it's not random, random anymore but... yeah so we got to stop talking about it yeah go go bordello damn it <laughs> well scratch that off the list <laughs> all right y'all we love you thanks for listening paranol if you hear this we love you thank you for your music thank you for your service godspeed godspeed paranol peace godspeed you black paranol emperor Another good collab.